I was thinking about our Christmas experiences, and I recognized something that when it comes to, to Christmas, a lot of the experiences that you've had are very similar to the experiences of the people that you're sitting next to uh, or listening along with uh, online. Uh, for instance, how many of you at some point during this Christmas season is going to put up a Christmas tree in your house? All right, let me say this. More than whose hands are up right now, I, I'll tell you that. Uh, or uh, I'm guessing that most of you are going to give a Christmas gift at some point during this season. Husbands, give a Christmas gift at some point during this uh, Christmas season. And so there are definitely Christmas experiences we have uh, that are the same. I could go on with a list. But depending on where you live or who you are, there are some unique Christmas experiences that people have. For instance, does anyone know the most common food to eat on Christmas Eve in Japan? Someone got it last night. It's, you got it, you got it. It's not sushi or tofu. Someone over here got it. It is Kentucky Fried Chicken. Colonel Sanders, finger-licking good on Christmas Eve. And why in all the world? Well, I did a little research. Back in the 70s, KFC did a really amazing, obviously, marketing Christmas plan of eating KFC at Christmas, and it stuck. And everyone eats Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, in Caracas, Venezuela, most of the citizens in that town go to mass on Christmas Eve. Now, that's not unique. But what is unique in that community is how most people get to Christmas Mass. They roller skate. I don't know why. I don't think there's anything particularly spiritual about it. It's just what you do in Caracas. Uh, and I had to practice saying that name a few times. So there's that. And our experiences can be different because of different traditions, even in the United States, that we have in our unique homes. But I wonder if you can also relate to this, that not everyone has the same Christmas experience because we're all facing different circumstances. And so for some of us right now, we just can't wait for Christmas. It's going to be amazing. All the people that we love the most are going to be there. And when we think about our lives, what we'd probably say this year is that things are going pretty well. And, and then there are other people in this room who, well, when it comes to Christmas being the most wonderful time of the year, you just don't feel it at all. In fact, Christmas can be the hardest time of the year because there's all these feelings and these emotions that, you know, commercials and people are focusing in on. And when it comes to feelings and emotions right now, you're struggling with your feelings and emotions because life has been difficult and challenging and someone that you love is not going to be for one reason or another at Christmas this year. And so when it comes to Christmas... There can be different experiences and different circumstances that lead to different feelings. And this is true for us today. And this was also true of the very first Christmas. 
See, there are different people that the Bible shares with us that had some connection or involvement with Jesus' birth. Uh, People like Mary and Joseph, shepherds and angels. A few days after Jesus' birth, there's an elderly man named Simeon that's connected and able to hold baby Jesus. And then the Magi, we aren't exactly sure when they came, but they too were able to worship Jesus as a toddler or a baby. And when we think about all these different people coming from different countries even and different challenges and different fears and different experiences, we recognize we recognize that their Christmas perspective, depending on who they were, might be a, different, a little different. A look at Christmas through a slightly different lens. But there's something that unites all of them with all of us. It's the reality of Christmas. Say it this way, that the arrival of Jesus would change everything for everyone. Here's how the angels said it to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. You know these words, many of you do. Don't be afraid. I bring you not a list of things to do. I bring you not judgment from above. I bring you the best news there could ever be. And this news will cause there to be joy. For who? For everyone. For all the people. No matter your background, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter your specific circumstances, the birth of Jesus Christmas, the angel said it, brings joy for all people. If you're the one that this year is going to have the perfect Christmas with the perfect tree and have the perfect family and the perfect gift and the perfect lights, I don't know if that's any of us, there's joy to be had at Christmas. But this joy is for the happy and for the hurting. There's joy for the overjoyed, and also this Christmas for the overwhelmed. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to to see how this joy played out uniquely in the lives of some people who have connection to Jesus' birth. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to dig into the the story or the the life account of uh, Jesus' mother. Um, her name, obviously, is Mary. And, and before we get into the, the verses, I wanted to just have you start to think about what Mary was going through by, by asking you this question. Um, has your life turned out exactly the way you planned? It's like, is this a real question, Ben? Of course not, right? No one's life 
turns out exactly the way we planned. You go back 20, 30, for some of you, <laughs> five years ago, and you think about you know, where you would be in five years, in 20 years, in 30 years. Is it exactly the way you thought it would be? Is your marriage exactly the way you thought it would be? Do you have you know, 2.5 kids like exactly like you had planned? Are you living in the, the neighborhood you had planned? Are you, you feeling about your life the way you had always dreamed you would feel? The truth is that no one's life turns out exactly the way we had planned. And and I think that's just good for us to acknowledge because for some of us, we walk around with a great deal of frustration or disappointment. And sometimes we might even feel like, I'm the only one whose life isn't going the way I had thought it would. No, we all have that truth. Not everything has gone the way we had hoped or planned, and that, that's our first fill-in for today. Life doesn't always turn out the way we planned. And why is that? Well, well sometimes the reason why life doesn't turn out the way we had hoped or planned, if we were just to be super honest, is because of decisions we've made. So maybe you're not in your career where you wanted to be. But if you were to do a self-evaluation, you'd have to admit that you haven't necessarily worked super hard. You've been kind of lazy or you've showed up late. And should it be any surprise that you're not where you hoped you would be? Or maybe as you look at your marriage relationship or some other relationship that it's not as healthy as you would like, but in some cases as we look at that, we've noticed, you know, I, I've held a grudge too long. I haven't forgiven like I should. I haven't put in the effort it takes to have a healthy marriage, a thriving marriage, the way that I had always hoped. And so sometimes it's decisions we've made that lead to plans not going the way we had hoped or liked. And and honestly, sometimes it's not just decisions. Sometimes it's sin. It's our sinful decisions that lead to life not going the way we had hoped. But there's, a, there's another category that's true for all of us, and it has nothing to do with decisions we've made, because all of us at some point have, have plans not going the way we'd like, and it, it's because there are circumstances we can't control. So you have worked hard at your job. You're not perfect, but you've gone above and beyond, and you still didn't get that job you were hoping for. Your spouse cheated. You didn't make the team. The economy tanked. Your loved one passed away. You got sick. You see, sometimes life just happens. And it's not because we did anything or didn't do anything, but life doesn't go as we had planned because there were other plans And we're left to have to navigate that. (laughs) You know who could relate? Mary. Jesus' mother. And, And as we take a look right now at how her life plans changed in a moment, we're gonna find 
some encouragement in regards to what to do and where to look when the same thing happens in our lives. So we're going to dig into the biographical, biog- biographic account of Jesus' life uh, written by Luke. In Luke chapter 1, here's what he writes. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and who's Elizabeth the mother of? I heard it. John the Baptist. Yep. So in the sixth month of her pregnancy, and Mary and Elizabeth were related somehow, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and that virgin's name was Mary. So what are some things we learn about Mary from the top? The the first thing I notice is that Luke points out that she's from Nazareth. Nazareth is just a small, nondescript town. In fact, it was so unknown that when Luke wrote his account, he was compelled not just to say Nazareth, but where it was, because I think most people wouldn't know where it was. Nazareth in Galilee. Luke also writes that Mary was pledged to be married. Now, a few things to to recognize about marriage at this time. First of all, almost every marriage was an arranged marriage which kind of gets you thinking a little bit. Like if, if marriage worked that way today, who would your parents have connected you with when you were a kid, right? Um, it was an arranged marriage, and so that's most likely what it was with Mary and Joseph. At the same time, most women, most teenage girls were married at 15, 16, 17. We don't know what age Mary was, but most uh, people were married at that young teenage age. And then it says that she was pledged to be married. I do think that this custom is very similar. You can think of it as our engagement, where the man and woman have been pledged, often by their parents, to be married, but they're not living together yet. Uh, They're not physically intimate with each other yet. Uh, They are just waiting for that day that they will be married. And, And this pledge was so binding that you needed to have a legal divorce if it were to be to be broken. The last thing that we see in this verse is that Mary was a virgin, which is kind of a weird way to describe someone when you're first introducing yourself to someone, right? Um, you know, here's Mary. She's from Nazareth. Uh, she's pledged to be married, and, and she's a virgin. And especially if you are, are new to the Bible, this will seem really strange to you. But this little detail becomes very important, as most of you know. Verse 28. The angel Gabriel went to her and said, Greetings, You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I want to camp out on this English adjective for Mary, highly favored. The first thing to recognize about Mary is that uh, some Christians put way too much, I would say, emphasis on um, how special or unique Mary was, even at times considering her to be holy and that our redemption in some way is connected to the holiness of Mary. And that's, that's just not biblically accurate. At the very same time, I think after we're done today, 
you're going to have a renewed respect uh, for just what a faithful servant Mary was. And so we don't want to have too low of a view of her either. What was God's view of Mary? The angel called her highly favored. Um, If you're writing notes in your Bible, I want you to underline, highlight, whatever it is to to really make sure that that word sticks out because it is is such an important word. In the Greek, the, the root for highly favored is a word that all of us have heard. It's the word grace, charis in the Greek. And what, what the angel is saying is that Mary is highly favored. She is a highly graced person. And what does grace mean? A recipient of undeserved love. So from a worldly perspective, there was nothing unique about Mary. She was from a small little town that most people didn't know. She was getting married to a carpenter who, unless she had become the mother of the Savior, most likely no one would have ever heard of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. She likely wasn't someone who was voted as the most likely to succeed in Nazareth Public High School. She was just a normal girl, except for she wasn't normal at all. Because when God looked at her, he saw someone who would be the recipient of his undeserved love. Highly favored has nothing to do with personal accomplishments, success, or cultural status. And it got me thinking about us. So often we're trying to find our sense of purpose or our sense of like uh, feeling worthy in, in what we do, in what we've accomplished, in where we live, in what we have. And, and there's a certain amount of pleasure that comes from those things. But what God thinks about you is more important than what others think about you. And I'll just tell you this, because I personally have at times challenges with this arena of finding my sense of accomplishment in what other people think. I'll just tell you, it's exhausting. And I'll tell you this too, we all have a little bit of that in us where our pleasure, our satisfaction comes from what other people think. At the end of the day, what's way more important than what they think is what God thought about Mary and what your Heavenly Father thinks about you. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the words of the angel. I mean, I think one way to think about this is if an angel appeared to you out of the blue, you'd be a little troubled too. Like, what is going on? You'd be a little fearful and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. You have found, guess what that word is linked to again? The Greek word charis or grace. You have found grace. You have found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. The son will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will, will never end. And so what Mary is told is that she was going to be a part of the salvation plan as the mother of the Savior. The mother of this, this king who would reign forever. In fact, I think in many ways, it's unique to think about. At this point, she is the only one in the entire world who knows, the only human being at least, that knows that the Christmas account is starting to be in motion, that Jesus is coming, and that she was going to be a part of it. This is a savior, as most of you know, that people had been waiting for, for three, four thousand years since the Garden of Eden, that although Mary didn't know that she was going to be the mother of the the child until now, she certainly knew as a a Jewish girl, like all the Jews knew, that the Savior would someday come. And in this moment, here's what we know, that she didn't know how God's plan would intersect with her plans, but now she saw it. Now she saw how God would use her, how God would change her plans and allow her to be a part of his unique and amazing plan. Our second fill-in is this. God has plans and they're better than our plans. We have plans God has plans. And sometimes as hard as they are, just know his plans are better all of the time. Put Mary to the side for just a moment and think if you, and I know some of you are this, think if you were an event planner And you were tasked with creating the perfect celebration and perfect circumstances around the birth of the long-awaited Savior. What would it look like? Not like Christmas. We'd probably have a whole bunch of lights and music and just celebration fit for a king. But God's plan was for Jesus to come very humbly. And that's because God had this plan for his son that Jesus would come to serve rather than to be served. Or as some of you maybe have always wondered, why did why did Jesus, why did the Savior need to be born in this, this weird, weird way from, from a virgin? Well, you see, God had a plan. And his plan was for your forgiveness through a perfect substitute. And his plans were perfect plans. And so that Savior, well, that Savior needed to be God. 
Because if the Savior had two sinful parents, guess what the Savior also would have? Sin, a sinful nature, and would not be the perfect substitute that the world needed. And so there needed to be a miracle. This had to be a God thing inside of Mary. Well, at the very same time, and it boggles our minds, that the Savior also needed to be human. Because God can't die. God's eternal. And so how would God's son take our place in death unless he was a human being? And I know, I know this doesn't still make total sense in every single way. But again, it's a miracle. And God knew exactly what we needed and the only sacrifice there could be that you and I might have hope. I think we could say it this way. This whole thing is not the plan that we would have written for God's son. But God's plans, I'm telling you, believe it, they're always better. Even as hard as sometimes they might be. Let's go back to Mary. She's just told that she is going to have a child. And she asks this very understandable question. How will this be since I am a virgin? I think you'd probably have the same question. Like, Angel, I don't know how it works in other communities, but here in Nazareth, virgins don't usually get pregnant, so how is this going to be? How is this going to work? Here's what the angel said. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be of God. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. It's an another miracle because uh, Elizabeth was said to have been unable to conceive because she was elderly and barren, and yet she is in her sixth month of pregnancy, for no word from God will ever fail. It's going to be a miracle, Mary. Trust me. Trust God. Got this, got this figured out. And here's, as we summarize what we know for sure, that just like you in your life, Mary had plans. We all do. And we don't know exactly what her plans were, what she had thought about when it comes to her life and her married life, but she had plans for marriage and she had plans for her life. She had ideas of what it would all be like. You know what they didn't include? Getting pregnant as a virgin before she was married. And Mary's plans were changed in a moment. Not what she probably would have chosen, because along with the honor of being God's or Jesus' mother, there also was a lot of other difficult circumstances that no doubt would have been a part of things. Because people would ask, You're not married, but we see you're starting to, we see your baby bump. 
And she could tell them, yeah, this angel appeared, told me that God put this in me and everyone would believe her, right? And she would likely be called names. In fact, the gospels hint at Jesus, how he came about being considered illegitimate years later as well. There was always these rumors of, for those who didn't believe he was from God, of how he came about. And along with the joy of being Jesus' mother, there, there would have been difficulty. There would have been hard days. And looking back at it from 2,000 years later, we see how it all worked out. But if you were Mary, how challenging a moment intermixed with the honor that was bestowed on her. So how did Mary respond to all of this? Verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is one of the most amazing responses in the Bible. Mary just simply says, I'm not here to serve my plan. I'm here to serve you. And it, it begs the question, begs this question, when there's a gap between your plan and your reality, what are you going to put in that gap? Because the truth is, we have a choice. And most of the time, if we don't think about it, what we do is become very inward looking and we fill that gap between reality and plan. We fill that gap with with things like um, disappointment and frustration and anger and grief. And are those things understandable? Absolutely. But we don't want to stay there because as children of God, you know what we can fill that gap with? We can fill that gap with trust. That we have a good God and that he loves you and that he cares for you, and that even when you can't understand it, his plans are better than your plans. How did Mary get there so quickly? It's not easy, is it? I don't know all the inner workings of what she was thinking, but I do know what we have written down. Remember what the angel said? Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The angel started by making Mary absolutely, something absolutely clear to her, that she is a recipient of God's love and grace, that she is someone that God loves undeservedly. So whatever the plans are, I'm here to serve you, not me. And, and the application I have for you today 
is an easy one to talk about, but it may take a lifetime to get there. But when there's a gap between your plans and your reality, my encouragement, my application for you is to grow. Grow to be in a place of submission and trust. And some days you're not going to be there. But just remind yourself of what God says about you. You are loved just like Mary, for God so loved the world includes you. For it is by grace you have been saved, undeserved love. You are, just like married, considered to be highly favored, highly graced. It's just like kids, huh? They have submission and trust. I mean, think about about all the things we give to our kids when they're sick. Syrups and pills and supplements and The only question they ask is not like, will this hurt me? Is it like, does it taste good? And they just eat or drink or whatever, whatever you give them most of the time. Why is that? Because you're their dad. You're their mom. And they trust you. So today's Christmas perspective through the eyes and lens of Mary is this, that Christmas is the celebration of the perfect gift from a perfect God for undeserving but highly graced people like Mary, like me, like you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, each day is a gift. And even in those moments where our days or our years are not what we have chosen, it's not because of a lack of love. You are still with us. You have plans for us, even in the midst of the hardships that come through sin. And you call us your own. Because Jesus, uh, your son, didn't stay a baby, but was our perfect savior. Lord, help us to grow our trust in you, even when it's hard. May we serve you and not our plans. In Jesus' name, amen.